Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. While you are there, you can learn more about who we are as a church, see the time and locations of our weekend gatherings, and see the different reoccurring ministries that happen on a weekly basis. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. have any idea what these people have in common. Uh, David Beckham, uh, soccer player, or if you're using the European term, football player. Justin Bieber, I'm sure you've heard of Justin Bieber. Um, Maybe you haven't wanted to hear of Justin Bieber, but you've heard of him, Um, maybe too often. Uh, Hugh Jackman, Piers Morgan, uh, Melania, Melania Trump, and our very own Megan Belden. Um, What would you guess that those people all have in common or have had in common at one time or another? Public figures. figures. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, they all believe the exact same thing politically. Um, Not true. Uh, So so what those people, at, at one point or another in their lifetime, they have required a temporary work visa in order to get employment in the United States of America. All of them, at one point or another, and some of them still are, citizens of a different country, yet they have a temporary work visa that allows them to get employment and have a job legally here in our country. It's interesting because how that works, a temporary work visa is actually applied for and then eventually granted to a person who wants to maintain their citizenship of their country, yet they want to be able to work in this country. So there's a, there's a lot of people who are, we, we've heard of, and then there's a lot of people who you probably have never heard of who, who have to go through um, that process, that application process, and they have these temporary work visas. And by the very nature of what they're called, obviously they're temporary, so they have an expiration date on them. And so when that expiration date comes, you either reapply or you, it means it's the end of the time that you've chosen to be here and work, and then you go back to the country of your citizenship. Uh, it's, it's interesting because I think that, that this idea of a temporary work visa is an incredibly clear illustration to bring us great understanding in, in really what we are as exiles and as Jesus followers in the world around us. Because you see, in a very real way, uh, we have citizenship in, in God's kingdom when we have chosen to surrender our lives and follow Jesus. And so we are, citizenship, we are citizens of God's kingdom, yet we're here as exiles, as we've been talking about for the last couple months, that we're here as exiles. And, and, and so this really isn't our home, and it never will be until Jesus comes back and he actually redeems and, 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 and renews and, and brings his kingdom here. And, and that's when we actually will belong. But until then, we're exiles. It's kind of like we're those people who have a citizenship and we're claiming that citizenship of another place, yet we're here and God calls us to some specific tasks and a work in the place where we live. And so it's kind of like we all, as Jesus followers, have temporary work visas to get a job that Jesus has called us to get that done 
wherever we live, whatever nation we live in. And on that temporary work visa, for all of us who follow Jesus, there's an expiration date. And when that expiration date comes, that's when Jesus calls us to the kingdom in which we have citizenship. And so we have a limited time. We're all here temporarily as exiles, yet we are called, as we talked at the very beginning of this series, we're in Jeremiah, we're called to, what are we called to do in our exile? We're called to build houses and plant gardens and, and marry people and, and, and have families, have children and, 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 and have community and, and, and pray for the good of the city, even though the city of our exile doesn't respond to God's values or God's character. In fact, so often that the Babylon that we live in is completely against what God sees as, as valuable and good and right. Yet we're called to work temporarily with these temporary work visas to make this place the best place it can be and to, re to, re to reflect Jesus to everyone around us through loving and working for the gospel of Jesus. I love, I love what my daughter Hannah um, shared this morning in the video, um, that she had kind of a temporary time here to do ministry at Ralston, Ralston Tower on the floor that she was on. We took her to college last weekend. And, and so kind of her season of regularly being at Ralston Tower, that's kind of expired and, and, and what's cool is that, is that while she was here, she was able to, to go and, 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 and build relationships with all of these people on the seventh floor. And, and, and even as an exile, that she was able to go and reflect Jesus and to bring some hope and peace and light and joy to the people that need that there. And, and, and so really what, what, what we see as a Jesus follower, we have citizenship in his kingdom, yet we're exiles here and we're called not to just wait it out, but we're called to love and to work while we're here. And at some point, we're gonna hit an expiration date and Jesus is gonna bring us back to the country of our citizenship, his kingdom. And, and so as we look as we look at the last chapter of 1 Peter, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. And as we look at this last chapter, Peter closes his letter to us by setting our focus until our temporary work visas expire, until we're done here. And he says, this is what I want you to remember as you flesh this out. And so in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter kind of reminds us of three things and, and he looks towards this and he, and he basically says, here's how I want you to care for one another and here's something that I want you to remember about the enemy and here's something that I want you to keep your eyes focused on, the work that God is doing in you. And so in chapter five, verse one, here's, here's what Peter says. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed when our temporary work visas expire, to that glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in, in your charge, but being examples of the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So he begins his, his final chapter, his, his kind of closing to, to, to the, the believers in Asia Minor who he's described as exiles. And to us who are exiles, he begins by saying, here's how I want you to care for one another. And he says that God has given a structure and a character so that we can become like Jesus while we are here in exile. And he speaks particularly in the beginning, but broadens it to everyone, talks about those who are in leadership, formal leadership in the church. Those who are pastors and shepherds and teachers and, 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 and leaders there. But it also applies to anyone who follows Jesus and someone else is watching. Because that's the reality that, 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 that those who are leaders here and you are a leader if someone is watching your example. And so really, I, I think anyone... <laughs> who breathes is a leader to some degree because someone is watching you. And, and, and so basically what Peter is recognizing is we've talked about, uh, Travis in the last couple of weeks has talked about the suffering that we face as exiles and, and being made like Jesus, that when difficulty comes, we look to those who lead us and that we respect. When you think about it, when, when you face suffering or difficulty or tension in your life, who do you go to? You go to someone who you feel like can give you good direction, who can give you comfort, somebody you trust and respect that can help you. You go to someone who, who you see can lead you. And, and that's what we do. And we've got to recognize that if you lead anyone, if anyone looks up to you, to your example, they look up to, to you as a model. Remember that when suffering arrives, God calls you to think of those who are watching you because he's called you to be an example to them. So when we face difficulties in life and frustration and suffering, things that we don't expect but come, come upon us, we need to remember that it's not just about me in that moment. It's also about those who look at us and are watching. Paul says uh, in his letters, he makes a statement, he says, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I think that's such a bold statement because when I think about it, I would never want to say imitate me as I imitate Christ because I think I imitate, like the stuff that I really do a good job of imitating Christ, it's pretty, pretty narrow. Like not, like if I say to you, imitate me as I imitate Christ, like that's not really a big job for you because there's not a lot of imitating that you need to do. But so I'd say like bypass me and just imitate Jesus. <laughs> Like, forget that. But, but, but that's the idea, is that people see us and they look up to us and there's people who are watching and when we face difficulty and struggle and temptation, they're looking at us because, because we are called to be an example to them. And, and, so, and so Peter goes on and he says, he says, shepherd the flock. And you think about a shepherd and, 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 and he's got... Uh, responsibility over a whole, a whole group, a whole flock of sheep. And what does really a shepherd do? You picture the shepherd with like a, a staff and, and, and he's, you know, you see in his, his, his outfit and all that. And really what a shepherd does, a shepherd is there to protect the sheep from dangers and things that they can't protect themselves from. A shepherd is there to help the sheep grow, to lead them to, 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 to clean and safe water and lead them to, to grass and, and vegetation that is, that is nutrient rich 
and will help them to grow well. And, and a shepherd is, is responsible to kind of correct the sheep when they're off track, keep them moving in the right direction. And, and the shepherd is there to encourage the sheep to, to, to keep going and, and, and fulfill the, the duty that they have, which is, is so often to give wool and to, 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 to have lambs and, and those kinds of things. And so when he says shepherd the flock, he's talking about that idea of leading by example and living among and living over. And so he says, as you give oversight to those under your care, when he talks about oversight, this idea, because, because when, when the reality is that we are all sheep, every one of us, no matter what your role or position or title, we are all sheep. And, and, and then some of us have a calling on our lives to lead others in different contexts, which, which makes us, in, 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 a, in a small sense, a, a, a shepherd for a time, for a time of our calling. But see, we also are sheep. And so this idea of, of when he says, when you give oversight, it's this idea of being among, being a sheep, but also being over, being a shepherd. And so, and so he says, as you shepherd the flock, recognize that you are with and you are an example. And so, and so in verses two and three, he says some things of do and don't. He says, don't do this and, and do this. And so in, in verse two, he says, exercising oversight as you carry this out of, 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 of being among and over. He says, don't do it under compulsion, but willingly. In other words, do it in a way that is intentional. Do it in a way that, that you recognize the urgency of becoming like Jesus as an exile in this life and, and how important it is to model well, to be a good example. He says, don't be lazy. Avoid laziness, basically. Don't be sluggish or unconcerned. But, but, but take this seriously. And then, and then he says, not for, for personal gain, but he, but he says, he says, uh, he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. In, in other words, uh, don't let greed guide the way you lead. Don't be all about yourself and the gain that you can get. But he says, he says, instead of being driven by gain, be driven by joy and the joy that you receive by serving and living and becoming like Jesus. When I think about uh, Monday evenings, when Hannah would come home from school, after school, then she would have a little bit of time and then she would head out to Ralston Tower. He, she would head here to put the meals together then to Ralston Tower. And there wasn't any, any personal gain that she got from that. She didn't get paid for that. That's, a, that's what she does as a volunteer. Yet the, the joy that she received, I'll never forget when she came up with that idea to, to find Leon a, a dog. And I remember she did, she went online and, and went to the animal shelter and, and looked at and researched all of these different dogs. And so she had like three dogs that she felt like would be the best animals for Leon. And one of them was baby girl that, that he got. And I just remember the joy and the excitement as she and Christine went that day and picked up Leon and took him to the, the shelter to pick out a dog. And I just remember how much joy there was. There wasn't any personal uh, shameful gain in that, but it was, it was the joy that she received from doing that and bringing joy and, 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 and encouragement to a guy who's, who's struggling like Leon. And, and, then, he, and then he says, finally, a, a don't and a do. He says, 
not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Not domineering, in other words, don't lead in your own pride. Don't lead others in pride and arrogance. He says, he says, don't shoot for power and prestige. That can't be the motivator. That's not what you're going for. You don't lead people by telling them what to do. You lead people by inviting them to join you as you serve. That's how we lead people. We call people into serving Jesus as we serve Jesus and for them to help find them how they can serve Jesus. You see, just because we have a position of leadership doesn't mean that God is pleased with you or you get a reward for it. It is only if you resemble Jesus in your leadership. Because you see, if we lead that way, if we lead the way God calls us to lead, then, then, then what, what we see that Peter says is, and when the chief shepherd in verse four appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And you see, we'll receive that reward only if we lead the way Jesus calls us to lead. Not every person who's been a pastor will receive a reward or a well done from Jesus because so many lead in pride and arrogance and for themselves. And so we're called to be an example in every sense of wherever you lead, whoever follows you, whoever's looking to you, whether it's your children, whether it's your coworkers, whether it's people at school, no matter where it is, there are people that you know are looking and there's people that you have no idea are seeing you. And so we're called to lead like Jesus. And then he says in verse five, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And, and, and here, he's, what he's saying is not that Here's what we need to understand. He's saying that those of you who are younger, who are less mature in Christ Jesus, look to those who are mature in Christ Jesus and follow their example. Submit yourself to them and, and, and listen to them and learn from them and grow because of who they are. You see, it's not just talking about submit yourself to anyone who is older than you because you see, age doesn't always result in maturity. You can be a 70-year-old person who, who's been a Christian all your life and be spiritually immature. It's about how have you surrendered your life to Jesus? How have you pursued Jesus intentionally and given up and become more and more like Jesus? And so for, for those of us who are younger and, and those of us who are less mature in the faith and maturing in that faith, Look to those who are more mature and, and more like Jesus and follow their example. Like he's saying that for me personally to look for those who are more mature than me, who know Jesus in a deeper way, who reflect Jesus better than me in all different areas of their life and I need to submit and, and watch their example and grow from them. And then he says this. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, who does that include? <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> Everyone who's committed their life to Jesus, no matter if you committed your life to Jesus yesterday or 30 years ago, it doesn't matter if you have a title and a position and you have some formal influence in, in the faith or you seemingly think, well, I don't, I don't have any. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
When, when you think about describing someone, how do you describe them? Like when you're describing someone for someone who, who doesn't know or, or, or maybe you're trying to get something out of them, like, like for example, um, you, you, you say, hey, do you remember that guy we saw the other day? And the person you're talking to says, what guy we saw the other day? The guy with the red shirt that ha- you start to describe their clothing, don't you? You start to describe like maybe they were wearing a hat or they had, they were wearing some, maybe they were wearing something weird and it just kind of struck, stuck in your memory. We describe people by the clothing they wear. And listen to what Peter says. He says, clothe yourselves with humility. You know what that means? Is he, is he saying, let it be obvious because of what people see in you and how they describe you that you are walking in humility. Let that be what you wear. Wear humility is what he's saying. Let that be the thing that people describe you by. When they're trying to remember you, they might not remember your name, but they remember that guy or that, that, that girl who just somehow made everyone feel better brought peace to the situation. They, they didn't fight for themselves, yet, yet there was something that was so confident in them. It just is different without them here. And they're just, the only way I can describe them is they just had this incredible humility. Are you described like that by people who try to remember you? Are we described that way? And it's interesting because he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And then he says this, he says, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's the deal. We can choose by what we wear, what we choose to wear in life, the character that we wear, what we are known for. We can choose how, what we receive from God. Because you see, if we walk in arrogance and pride in our own way and think much of ourselves, then what we are asking from God is opposition. God opposes the proud. What we're doing is saying, God, what I want from you is your opposition. But if we walk in humility, it says he gives grace. You see, the way you choose to walk, you are either choosing God's opposition against you or you're saying, God, give me more grace. And you choose which way you wanna walk. You see, there's, there's a definite theme of humility as Peter closes off this, 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 this letter and, and so he goes on and, and he basically says that, that, that this is how I want you to care for one another. Walk together in humility, one with another. Encourage one another, keep each other on the right track and learn from those who are, who are further in their maturity in Christ, who reflect Jesus a little bit better than you. Learn from them. Submit yourself to them so that you can become more like Jesus. And so then he, then he begins and, and, and shifts a little bit and he says, not only do I want you to care for each other, but I want, you, I want you to remember who the enemy is. Because we're exiles in the world, it is easy to look at the people around us who are in opposition to the way of Jesus and we, we peg them as the enemy. And we talk about how they're terrible and evil and all of these things. It's easy to do that and you do that all the time. But Peter says, no, I want you to remember the face of the real enemy because you see, all of these people who we see ourselves in opposition with aren't actually the enemy. They're people 
who on our temporary work visa, it says we're called to love and we're called to pray for. Because those very people are the people that Jesus gave his life for. And and, and so he goes on in verse six and he says this. He says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Here's, he says this, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time he may exalt you. Do you know how God makes much of us? See, there's two options. We are going to be made much of one way or the other. Either God will make much of us or we will make much of ourselves. And I need you to understand that there are two very different destinations associated with both of those paths. And so he says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he will make much of you, and you can cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. See, one way that God will make, the way that God will make much of us is that we pursue humility And all of the things we're concerned about, the anxieties and cares, we allow God to deal with those because he cares about you. All of the cares that I have about, well, I I want people to know that that I'm right. You know what? That might be making much of myself. Stand for what's right. Love people well. And don't compromise what Jesus has called you to and then let God in his time make much of you, even though you'll be made little by other people. But that's not what's important, is it? It's that God makes much of you. And then, and then he goes on and he says, he says be sober-minded and be watchful because there's a way that the enemy wants to make much of you and it's all about you. And it's exactly what the enemy did at the beginning. Because you see, if you go back and think about the fall of Satan, that his whole thing was to make much about himself because he felt like he wasn't being made much of by God the way he wanted to. And so he wanted to rise above God and exalt himself. And he was taken very low. And he was rejected and casted out. And so he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. He says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And, And here's what's interesting about what he says there. He says, he prowls around like a roaring lion. So often we think of like the sneak attacks and well, I didn't see that coming and now I've fallen into temptation. Here's what Peter's saying. If, if he was talking about something that we didn't see coming or a sneak attack, I feel like he would have described the devil as a slithering snake. I have to be honest here. I hate snakes. I, there, is no, there is nothing in the created order that's worse than a snake. If you have a pet snake, great. We can't be friends, ever. Like, I will never go to your house. I probably won't talk to you. I'll think less of you. I don't know. But 
um, I just like, I remember when there was this one time when we lived in South Dakota and we're driving in the, you know, these back roads and stuff. And in this one stretch of highway, this one stretch of like back road, for some reason, like there was always these dead snakes on it. I think it was like, they maybe needed like a snake crossing sign or something. But, but, but I remember one time I was going up this hill and there's this big snake going across the road and it kind of saw it last minute because you're not watching for snakes coming out of the grass on the road. And I like ran over it and I remember running over it. Like my, my, my instinct reaction was I lifted my feet up off of the floor of the car. Like I just, cause they can open doors. They can get in. I know it. And you can't just run over them once. You have to back up anyway. So I, just, I hate snakes. I think I've made that clear. And it's just, but it's because I'm always surprised. They, they, they're, they're sneaky and they're that. But, but he says about the devil, he says he's a roaring lion. You know what's interesting about the African lion? Is that its roar is heard up to 10 miles away. So what he's talking about here is not something that just sneaks up on you and, and you fall into. He says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, loud in your face, you hear him coming, seeking those to devour. And you know what he's seeking to do? He's seeking to recreate you in his image. That you would want to make much of yourself and that you would live and walk in pride. And that's what he's calling. And so, and so Peter says, resist him. Resist that call to make much of yourself and to walk in pride, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. In other words, you're not alone in this, that we are fighting together as exiles who've been called to Jesus. And, 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 so, and, and so he says, remember the true enemy is basically walking the same way that the, that the devil walks in pride and arrogance and calling other people to make much of themselves rather than allowing God to do that in our lives. And, and so then he, he goes on in verse 10. He basically, here's, here's what we need to understand. We, we face suffering and difficulty in this life and by the nature that we are exiles, we will, we will struggle but here's what he says. He says, and after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will restore, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to, be, to, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, focus on the work of God in you. Focus on the work of God that he's doing in you because you see, here's the reality. Suffering is temporary. And when we reach the point of our expiration date on our temporary work visa, all of that will be changed. But for the, for the temporary time that we're here, here's what he's saying to look at. That those who have been called in Christ Jesus, God will restore you. All that you've lost and more. In fact, Jesus says in his gospel, he says that those who have left fathers and mothers and houses and brothers and sisters, he says that God will restore tenfold what you've lost. And so we need to recognize that whatever is exiles that we've lost, that we've given up to become more like Jesus, God will restore 
in abundance. And then he says, also confirm. He says, confirmed. That, that Jesus Christ alone will confirm your position of son or daughter in Christ Jesus. That your position does not need to be confirmed by anyone else, but Jesus himself confirms your position. That you have nothing to fear. Then he says, strengthened, strengthened in our weakness because we do suffer, we do face opposition and it is the nature of our existence. Yet he will give us strength in our weakened states. That he will give us strength that comes from God alone, that he will strengthen us. And then finally he says, established, in other words, set up by God, made much of by God, that God will establish you as you live faithfully for him. And he closes that part by saying, God's dominion forever and ever. In other words, God is over all and in all forever and ever. And that you can be assured that he will accomplish these things in you. And so then Peter closes. And and he closes this way. He says, by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. In other words, God... Peter is in this gospel community where this, this friend of his, Silvinius, he, he is helping Peter write this message to those in exile. And then he says, stand firm in it. Stand firm in what? Stand firm in knowing that your citizenship is in God's kingdom and that you are in exile here and you are called to a temporary period of work here to love and work to make this place better. And, and then he says something really interesting in verse 13. He says, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. He says, she who is at Babylon sends you greetings. We've got to remember that this is the time of the Roman Empire. Babylon is like four empires past. Why is he bringing up Babylon? It doesn't exist. It's because Babylon is that container for the world's nations and cultures. Babylon is any nation that does not surrender to the lordship and sovereignty of Jesus Christ, which is no nation. (laughs) The only nation that you could say is not Babylon was Israel when God called Israel and set Israel apart for his own kingdom, for his own choosing, for his own people who would then bless the rest of the nations. And so, again, Peter reminds us, you are in exile, just like the Jews were in Babylon. You are in exile today in whatever country you live in. Remember that you are called by God to build houses, to plant gardens, to establish relationships, to get married, to have families, to have community and to pray for the peace and the good of your city, even though it's not your home. You see, you and I, as Jesus followers, all have temporary work visas. I'll never forget a conversation I had with one of the Ralston Tower residents from floor seven at my house at Hannah's graduation party this past spring. Elderly lady, who was sitting and having some snacks, and I, and I introduced myself to her as Hannah's dad, and we talked a little bit, and I said, yeah, Hannah's gonna go off to school, and, and that'll be different, 
And the lady looked at me. She's not a believer. And she said, oh, she said, we're going to miss Hannah because our floor is never going to be the same. Would the people where you work, would the people where you go to school, would the people where you shop and eat and the boards that you're on and the people you play with, would they say when your temporary work visa expires and God calls you to his kingdom, would they say, whether they know Jesus or not, that it'll never be the same without you because of the hope and the love and the light that you brought? I don't know if it will matter when you see Jesus face to face that you successfully told people who were wrong, that they were wrong. But I know for a fact that it will matter very much that the people that, that intersected your life, that if they can say, it won't be the same without Paula. It won't be the same without Chris. It won't be the same without Mike. Because what we saw in them, we wish we could live in that. Because they saw Jesus reflected in you in a genuine and a clear and a powerful way. That's the work that God calls us to do. And there's gonna come a moment where that date comes and your visa expires and Jesus calls you to come back home. And what did you leave behind? My prayer for us is that we take seriously because you don't have to defeat the world around you because they're not your enemy. But you do have to humbly make things better for them and humbly resist when asked to compromise the values of your citizenship to show people that there is a God who loves them and a God who will redeem them and a God who will give them life if they are willing to surrender to him. And we do this until our visas expire. I invite the, the worship team to come up and we're gonna close in a, in a song together. But my perspective as I've walked through First Peter is this, that I am called to love all by serving and sharing why I have hope. That's, why I'm call, that's what I'm called to do and that's what you're called to do. Love all by serving and sharing why I have hope. My prayer is that you would be able to see with the eyes of an exile and that where you live would be better because you temporarily work there. 
that there would be a vision of Jesus everywhere you go because of who you are. Jesus, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for the way you work on us constantly. And Father, I thank you for the stories and examples that we can see of people who are, who are, who are living this. Who are making communities better because of how they reflect Jesus. God, sometimes it takes getting someone a dog to open them up to just praying for you. And so God, I pray that we would live as exiles who are becoming more and more like Jesus, always remembering what's at stake. And we love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.